Welcome to the Rail Market Update on the State of Freight podcast brought to you by FTR, where we share timely transportation intelligence with you on a weekly basis. The Rail Market Update is hosted by FTR's Vice President of Rail and Intermodal, Todd Tronowski. As Todd presents the information in the podcast, you can follow along and review the graphs and indicators by downloading a PDF or PowerPoint version of the presentation from our podcast landing page. A link to the PDF is available now at www.ftrintel.com slash podcast. From there, you can also find past episodes and downloads of the Rail Market Update, as well as the weekly trucking market update with Avery Vice and much more. That link again is www.ftrintel.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the FTR State of Freight Rail Market Update Podcast. As always, I am your host, Todd Tronowski, the Vice President of Rail and Intermodal here at FTR. Thank you for joining us this week. Hard to believe we're already into the month of February. Feels like the first month of the year flew by. And we're already one-twelfth of the way through 2023. Uh, certainly, it's been an eventful month. Uh, we had the Surface Transportation Board issue its final environmental impact statement uh, on the Canadian Pacific-Kansas City Southern merger application. We should see a final decision here uh, late in February, if not early March. Uh, that will bring to conclusion one of the big things on the docket, not just from a regulatory perspective, but from a rail industry uh, perspective as well. And then the combined carrier can get about the business of generating uh, some of those uh, some of those efficiencies, some of those savings that were talked about uh, in their original application, both to the board as well as to shareholders who supported the application initially. Uh, but before we jump too deeply in this week, I do want to thank again uh, the chairman and CEO of the Association of American Railroads, Ian Jeffries, uh, for joining us last week on the program. Uh, if you missed us last week, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode. Uh, it's a wide-ranging interview uh, with Ian about the issues facing the industry, and we thank him for taking the time, being willing to engage and talk about uh, the issues facing the rail industry as the calendar uh, is now firmly into 2023. So let's let's drill down and let's get to the chase uh, this week. Uh, intermodal volumes, they increased sequentially, but overall, they're still weak. And they're still weak even if uh, we control for the fact that the Union Pacific had a bridge outage for, uh, for part of that week that limited volumes in a uh, potentially fairly impressive fashion will We'll talk about the impact of that when we get there, but it's certainly, even if you correct for that, the intermodal market remains on the struggle bus into the second month of 2023. Carload volumes are performing better than intermodal, particularly on a year-over-year basis. You look at uh, where the carload figures are, and they've had a pretty good first month of the year, and that's even as uh, the industrial production outlook darkens. Many of you who listened to uh, the Class 1 carriers' earnings calls. I heard them talk about industrial production expectations negative uh, for the full year and that they expect their car load businesses to outperform that as they go through the year. They expect to be flat or better. Uh, that is something that we've certainly seen through the first month of the year. We'll talk about uh, the car load numbers, what they mean 
and what they might portend for the economy as we go through the year, as we go through uh, this week's episode. But let's start uh, with intermodal. And you can see the volumes, yes, they ticked up sequentially. I know they did not get back to their, their peak of 2023 in week number two. Uh, but even with that, uh, they are still at a very low level, even with that sequential uptick. They're still well below last year, uh, significantly off of the five-year average, significantly more so even than they are uh, down on a year-over-year basis off of the five-year average. Now, I mentioned at the outset the Union Pacific bridge outage in New Mexico that for a couple of days halted all of their intermodal traffic between Southern California and Chicago. Uh, that is certainly something that had an effect on these numbers, uh, but when you look at it, if you isolate just uh, just the impact of that event, uh, we estimate there was about 1% of the overall market for intermodal in that week. So yes, it is significant. Uh, no, it is not life-changing. No, it is not, uh, it is not trajectory-altering for that blue line. Would it be a little closer to last year's number? Uh, yes, it would. But would it get all the way back there? Uh, no, it would not. It would be about 3,000 or so carloads uh, we expect it would be the other side of 320,000 uh, carloads a week compared to being under 320,000 carloads a week uh, would be the difference uh, in that blue line. So it would it would improve it a little bit. It would put it essentially back to its peak level or a little bit above its peak level from week two, but it wouldn't get us back to the five-year average. It would not get us back to last year's level. So uh, yes, it's important. Yes, it's an effect in the week. Uh, but it's not dramatically so. It's not something uh, that you should say, well, that's why intermodal uh, is so weak. That's why uh, things look so bad uh, from an intermodal perspective. Uh, it certainly didn't help, but there are plenty of factors uh, that are hurting intermodal as we talk about uh, its performance over the first four weeks of 2023. One of those factors undoubtedly is the trailer market. And yes, there was a sequential uptick. Uh, no, it did not get back to week two's peak. I, this is a market that continues to weaken. Uh, it is stable, so we are grateful for that, but it is definitely a weakening market. Uh, we're holding right around 15,000 or so trailers a week. And as you can see, if you're looking at the graph, that's about 30% off of last year's level and even more than that down from the five-year average level. Uh, so that is a significant downshift. You think about the fact that just one year ago, uh, we were north of 20,000 trailers a week. Now we're struggling to get over 15,000 trailers a week. That is, that's a noticeable delta. Now it is not continuing to decline. It is not uh, making way for 10,000 trailers a week. So that's a good thing. That suggests that the death of the trailer market in the U.S. is not right around the corner, that it's not right here, it's not right upon us in 2023 or 2024 or 2025, but it does suggest that it is a smaller market going forward than it has been historically, certainly uh, than it has been relative to the five-year average where you're up 23, 24,000 trailers per week. Now, some of that trailer weakness would be okay. It would be acceptable. Everybody would be okay with it if it was driving trailer-to-container conversions. But as we look at the container volumes, uh, we can see pretty clearly that it's not doing that. Uh, yes, we bounced back in week four. Uh, yes, we are a little bit below, essentially in line with our week two peak. Uh, but we're still significantly below last year. 
significantly below the five-year average. It's not as though that trailer freight that's coming out of the market is being picked up by the container side of the business in intermodal. Uh, intermodal across the board is struggling. And with news off the West Coast recently about some rolling, uh, some rolling work stoppages at port terminals on the West Coast in Oakland, in Southern California, uh, that's not going to encourage shippers to, come, to bring their freight back to the West Coast uh, anytime before there's a, a firm resolution to the contract situation between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and the terminal operators out there. Uh, that's going to continue to put pressure on the container number as we go through the year, uh, particularly in light of the shifts uh, that are going on in terms of where folks are bringing cargo in, along with a very weak trucking market, along with the fact that it is a very hard to make a competitive case for intermodal relative to the truck market right now. Now, it's going to stay that way for a while. It's going to stay that way, we expect, until uh, the midpoint later part of 2024. That's a long way away from right now. That's a long way out into the future. And so that is going to pressure intermodal uh, for certainly all of 2023 and probably a good part of next year as well. Unfortunately, I don't have better news uh, on the intermodal side for folks in that space. A little bit of uh, bright news that I do have is on the carload side. Carload volumes are faring better than intermodal. Uh, they're actually up on a year-over-year -year basis and essentially right in line with their five-year average, essentially fairly stable, fairly consistent with history, as they were for much of the fourth quarter of 2022. Now, yes, they're up from last year, 2022, nobody's going to tell you was a great year for the carload market. 2022 was a very weak year for the carload market. But at least we are in line with history uh, as we get to the start of 2023. We are at least back to uh, historical normal in the carload market. Now, that's helped certainly by coal and grain, and there are certainly some risk factors that we'll talk about as we go through here. But at least for the moment, the carload markets, the carload volumes, are holding up at historically what we would see as a normal range, a normal result for early in the year. Economically sensitive freight, uh, we bring it back and we are above last year and we are essentially right at that five-year average. We're, we're following very closely to where we would expect to follow historically. Now, economically sensitive freight, when we talk about that, uh, we pull out the agriculture, we pull out the coal, we pull out the petroleum. We look at just those sectors that are more closely tied to the underlying economy. Things like pulp and paper, things like lumber, things like metals, automotive. Uh, those sorts of sectors that respond to uh, economic variables in a way that a grain, which is a commodity, coal, which is a commodity, uh, crude oil, which is a commodity, uh, do not necessarily respond as quickly to. And we can see here that the economically sensitive freight is right in line with its five-year with its five-year average. That's a great thing. That's a great place to be. That says that we're we're holding our own relative to history. We're holding our own relative to where we've been in the recent past. Uh, that is a good thing. That is a good sign. That suggests uh, that maybe we will continue to do that as we go through the year. And if rail service picks up, maybe we get some incremental growth uh, from there as we go through as we go through the year. But you can't just talk about economically sensitive freight. You have to talk about 
the bulk sectors as well. They are a big part of the carload business. And the coal market is for, certainly four among them. It is still, by volume, the largest single carload sector. And when you look at it here, uh, no, we're not back to our five-year average, uh, but for the first week this year, for the first time this year, uh, we've moved negative on a year-over-year -year basis. Not by a, a whole lot, by about a percent, percent and a half, uh, but for the first three weeks of the year, we've been well above uh, prior year levels. Now, we will have to see how this trend's going forward. We would call the first three, first four weeks of the year a surprisingly strong start to the year for the coal markets. Uh, we wouldn't expect this to continue. You have a number of plants coming offline this year uh, because of consent decrees with environmental regulators. You have natural gas prices that have come back down below $3 for MMBTU. That makes it very hard for coal to compete. That makes it very hard for coal to, uh, to, 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 to beat natural gas from a cost basis in many of these electricity markets, certainly some of the big coal-burning markets like ERCOT down in Texas and MISO uh, and across the upper Midwest, uh, they are market-based pricing. And so uh, coal will only dispatch if it is economical to do so. And so that raises another headwind to coal volumes as we go through, go through the balance of 2023 and why we think it will be sharply negative uh, when we get to the end of the year, even though it hasn't been that way uh, so far to start. Grain volumes, the other major bulk commodity group, uh, we bounced back in the last week on a sequential basis. We didn't get back to our peak in week two, but we certainly uh, moved up sequentially, and we moved up uh, from a strong level. We are in the third week of the year. Yes, we came down dramatically. Uh, we're still above last year. We're still above the five-year average, and we moved further up from that in week four. That suggests that there is some momentum to keep grain moving as we get through the first quarter into the second quarter. Traditionally, when you start to see uh, grain volumes fall off at the end of the second quarter, uh, we should be able to maintain the levels that we're at until we get to that seasonal uh, leveling off. But we, we shall see. Certainly, there's a lot of global demand for grain out there. When you think about the geopolitical events and what they've meant to grain supply, uh, there certainly should be underlying demand to support North American grain traffic, uh, given that both the U.S. and Canada uh, had strong harvest in 2022, which they did not have in 2021. So that will help, again, keep grain moving as we go through the year. Now, shifting back to those economically sensitive uh, freight commodities, the chemicals uh, business, the chemicals volumes, this is one sector that I've got to admit makes me a little nervous about the overall economy. If you look at the last three weeks, it's been essentially dead flat. It's been below last year. It's been below the five-year average. Chemicals has been the sector that has consistently driven growth in the carload business. And it looks like 2023 may break that trend. And I worry about it as a broader sign for the economy because the chemicals business has a lot of of base chemicals that go into an awful lot of industrial and manufacturing processes. When you look at the industrial production forecast, when you look at the ISM index continuing to come down, uh, that is something where maybe we're seeing that in the chemicals traffic, and maybe that's not a great sign when we think about the overall underlying economy, when we think about what that means for rail freight, 
across a whole bunch of commodity groups, not just chemicals, as 2023 wears on. Petroleum products volumes, it ticked up ever so slightly on a sequential basis. It's really pretty flat, right around 22,000 or so carloads a week. Normally, you see some seasonal weakening in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the five-year average would certainly lead you to believe that would be the case. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. We are, we are excuse me, well above 2022 results. And so that is, uh, that is a good thing to start the year. That is a good sign for how we start to go, uh, start to go on down the road here as we start to, to continue to hold the high end of the range that petroleum products have, have run at in the post-pandemic period. Stone, sand, and gravel, it took a, a, a nice step down, a significant step down in the latest week compared to where it had been running, uh, down to about 25, 24, 5 uh, carloads a week. Now, that's still above the five-year average. That's still 15, 16% above last year. So it, that is a good number for stone, sand, and gravel. Let's not, let's not all get worked up over one one week of data, let's put it in context and say, this is a sector that's driven volume growth over the course of the last year. It's a sector that has uh, government-aided economic demand. When you think about the infrastructure bill uh, that was passed, uh, when you think about some of the grants that are coming out from that, you should have some stability in this number to provide above five-year average levels as we go through 2023, even though we took a sequential step down in the fourth week of the year, we're still running at a very strong level. It's something we expect to continue to, to show that growth as we go through the next three quarters of the year. The other side of the construction markets, lumber and wood, it moved down ever so slightly in the last week. It's down significantly from last year, significantly below its five-year average. Uh, this is one that's going to face a lot of headwinds, particularly when you think about residential construction. When you think about the fact that mortgage demand uh, continues to be weak, even as mortgage rates uh, move a little bit lower, that hasn't stimulated additional housing demand, that hasn't created additional demand for lumber and wood. And we expect this number to, to struggle for most of 2023 and be hard-pressed to show uh, significant upward momentum at any point. Pulp and paper, the other piece of the forest products business, Certainly a substantial sequential tick up in week four, moved it above last year, uh, but still well off the five-year average. Still, uh, it bounced back, but it bounced off of a very low level. So this pulp and paper, let's not get too excited about one week of data in pulp and paper. Let's instead see what happens over the next month to see if we continue uh, to, to move stronger, if we continue to hold uh, this higher level that we've established in week four. Uh, it's certainly, uh, I would call it unlikely that we hold this level. When you look at how pulp and paper has struggled over the last few years, when you look at the fact that seasonally, historically, you get a deceleration through the first quarter, uh, we would expect to see this number come down, uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe because it is so weak, we won't see some of that normal seasonal pattern uh, that we would expect in the first quarter. We'll just have to wait and see how all that all that shakes out. Wrapping up the automotive sector, yes, it increased sequentially. 
essentially within the range, right below 25,000 or so carloads a week, where it had been running for uh, at the end of 2022 before the holiday shutdowns occurred, uh, where it got back to in week two. Uh, we're right around that same level here, uh, well above last year's level, about 6 7% above last year. That's a strong uh, result for automotive. It suggests that maybe we're getting uh, those production issues fully worked out, getting those plants back up to 100% capacity. That would be a good sign. But the question will be, if you look at some of the broader economic data, if you look at inventory to sales ratios, automotive inventories have grown substantially. So that says a lot of the volumes that we've moved over the last quarter, quarter and a half have gone inventory. And so is there demand, is there consumer demand to, to purchase new vehicles at this point in the economic cycle? Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And could that, could that create some production headwinds? Could that create some volume headwinds as we go through 2023? Certainly appears like a possibility uh, at this point in time based on the overall macro environment and automotive, uh, particularly as we start to build inventory for what is, among consumers, normally the second largest expense they'll make behind their house. Uh, folks may not be feeling, feeling like they can go out and make those kind of purchases uh, at this point in the economic cycle. So we'll have to see what demand does as we go through as we go through the year. So to wrap up, intermodal volume weakness remains significant. Uh, likely to stay that way throughout the year. Uh, we don't really see anything changing uh, this year to change that competitive balance, to change uh, that freight dynamic at all. And carload volumes are showing some strength relative to intermodal, but also relative to the outlooks for industrial production, for manufacturing, uh, against the context of a declining ISM index. Uh, certainly, uh, carload has to be happy with the way it's performed through the first month of the year, uh, essentially right at its five-year historical averages and outperforming some of the uh, the outlooks for the sectors that make up the carload market. Certainly a good news story in carload uh, over the, the first month of the year. We'll see if it can continue. There are certainly also some risks to the downside, as we talked about with chemicals, that will have to be watched as we go forward in time. And with that, I want to thank you for listening this week. Uh, feel free to reach out to myself or any member of the FTR team if you ever have ever any questions about what you hear in the podcast, what you see in our reports, uh, what you're seeing in your line of business. And we literally get up in the morning to talk about transportation. It's what we do. It's what we're passionate about. So do feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions or want to have discussions about what you're seeing in the marketplace. We love to, to have that conversation, that exchange of ideas. Uh, do reach out. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening this week. As always, I am your host, Todd Tranowski, the Vice President of Rail and Intermodal here at FTR. Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to having you uh, on board again next week. That's it for this week's Rail Market Update on the State of Freight podcast. The Rail Market Update will be published each week along with a downloadable PDF of the presentation. If you find this transportation intelligence useful, please take a moment to give us a positive rating on your podcast platform of choice and send us your feedback by email at podcast.ftrintel.com. You can find more publicly available State of Freight content and download the PDF of today's presentation by going to www.ftrintel.com podcast. FTR is the leader in freight transportation forecasting in North America, 
providing consistently reliable reports for trucking, rail, and intermodal transportation, as well as providing demand analysis for commercial vehicle and rail car. For more information about the work of FTR, visit www.ftrintel.com or call us at 888-988-1699 to find out which publications will best support your business. 